thank you for coming. I realize there are many places you could be right now, but you've chosen to be here, and I am very delighted, and I know that God will bless us. I have a friend of mine who came to see me. I think she's here. Where's Essie? Where's my friend Essie? Why doesn't she shake a hand so I can see her? She isn't here. Saw her in the parking lot. Maybe she'll come in a little later. All those who are visiting for the first time, raise your hands. First time guests, God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for coming. And those of us who have been enduring from night one, let me see your hands. Ah, God bless you. And all the rest of you, thank you for coming, not to hear me, but the word of God. Can you say amen? We have much to say tonight, so let us bow our heads and pray. Our loving Father in heaven, I ask in the name of Jesus to be with us now in the person of your spirit. Please, God. Open our hearts and our minds. Give me the words to say that the truth may be preached without contamination. I offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Our subject for tonight, but God, it makes no sense. God, it makes no sense. Genesis chapter 2, reading verses 16 and 17. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, we're reading from the King James Version. And our subject is God, it makes no sense. Do you have that? The Bible says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And this passage I have referred to perhaps more than any other, except perhaps Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.3. Now, if you examine God's restriction, God said, don't eat of one tree. The question might have arisen in the mind of Adam, what is wrong with the tree? The short answer is nothing. Because Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 tells us, and God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was what? Very good. Not just good, but very good. That included the trees that were made on the third day. Verses 9 to 13. Everything was very good, including the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was nothing wrong with it. Is that clear? Yet God took it upon himself to say, don't touch it. Now, to your mind, and perhaps to mine, maybe to the mind of Adam and Eve, it probably made no sense. But you will discover that very often, God asks us to do things that to our limited minds appear to make what? No sense. And so we say... God, it makes no sense to me. But let me ask you this question with great respect. Does God always have to make sense to us? No. No. 
Now God frequently desires to make sense. If we will listen to his word with a heart willing to obey him, he will make a lot of sense. But there come times when God makes requirements of us that to our minds make no sense. And it could be that when God told Adam, do not eat of this tree that is perfectly good, it probably made no sense to him. Let's go to another scenario that made no sense to human being. Luke chapter 5. As we continue with the subject, God, it makes no sense. Makes no sense to me. Luke chapter 5, reading from verse 3. Luke 5, reading from verse 3. Do we have that passage? Now, speaking of Jesus, Luke says, And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. Jesus sat in Simon's boat, and he preached. When he was done with his sermon, he told Simon, Let's go out into the deep. And try to catch some fish. Let down your nets for a draft. Verse 5. And Simon answering said unto him. Listen to Peter's response. Master, we have toiled how long? All night and have taken a few fish. Nothing. Now, no one misunderstands the word nothing. It is a popular saying, what part of no do you not understand? Well, what part of nothing do you not understand? Peter said, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their nets break. Verse 7, and they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now let's go back to Simon's response in verse 5. Master, we have toiled all night. Peter, you see, was by profession what? A fisherman. When you want your car repaired, do you go to the electrician? Do you go to a plumber? Do you go to a CPA, certified public accountant? To whom do you go? A mechanic. Now, if a mechanic and a fisherman had an argument about cars, to whom would you listen? The mechanic. Here is a professional fisherman, Peter. And here is a professional carpenter, Jesus. And the carpenter is telling the fisherman about fishing. Now, Peter could have said, okay, let's go. But as a human being, Peter had to let Jesus know, Master, I know something about fishing. I have fished all my life. I know the best fishing spots on the lake and the best times to fish. And if any other man had told me, let's go back out now, I would have said, no. But because you, a carpenter, because you, a carpenter and Jesus, because you, a carpenter and Jesus and God, 
Because you told me, let's go, I will go. I will obey, not because what you said makes sense to me as a fisherman, but because you said it. Children, how many times your parents tell you to do things and the request makes no sense to you? But you do it out of respect for your parents. The result was a tremendous miracle. The Bible says in verse 7, And they beckoned unto the partners which were in the other ship that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that the nets break. They began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. When he saw the miracle of God in response to his trust in God's word, even though the word of God might have made no sense, but because of who said it, he obeyed. You and I have to learn that sometimes God will say things that to our limited wisdom makes no sense, but we must be prepared to do it for one reason only, because of who said to do it. Let's go to Genesis chapter 26. Let's see this in action again. Genesis chapter 26, we'll begin reading at verse 1. As we continue with the subject, God it makes no sense. No sense to me. Genesis 26, reading from verse 1. I can still hear a few pages. That's fine. Do we have it now? And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Now, let us look at that request from God. What was the problem? There was a famine. Now, when I was a little boy growing up in Barbados, we studied from a book called The Student's Companion. It was general knowledge. That was the subject we had to take. We had to learn about all parts of the world, all countries, what they produced, what the exports were, everything, the capitals, the rivers, the mountains, the lakes, the streams, general knowledge. And I learned from that book that Canada back then was called the breadbasket of the world because of all the wheat it produced. Back in the days of Isaac, the breadbasket of the world was what country? Egypt. I want that to sink into your heads. The breadbasket of the world was Egypt. And there were frequent famines where Isaac lived. And whenever there was a famine, everyone took off for Egypt. In Genesis 41, in the days of Joseph and his brothers and Jacob, there was a famine. Remember Pharaoh had those two dreams? Seven fat cows, seven thin cows, the seven thin cows devoured the seven fat cows, then seven thin ears of corn, and seven fat ears of corn, the thin devoured the fat. Joseph came out of prison, explained the dream. There would be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of terrible famine. In that famine, the sons of Jacob went down to Egypt. And so we read in Genesis 42 verse 3, and Jacob's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt during their famine. This is after Isaac. Now, you're going to Genesis 42.3, but let's backtrack, go back to Genesis 12.10. 
Let's look at another famine. There are three famines in the book of Genesis. One in the life of Abraham, one in the life of Isaac, one in the life of Jacob. Three. God is usually called in scripture the God of whom? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Each patriarch had a famine in his time. Let's look at Abraham's. Genesis 12, verse 10. As we continue, God, it makes no sense to me. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was what? Grievous in the land. It was bad. And Abraham, well, Abram at that time, he took off for Egypt and stayed there until the famine was over. That's the father of the faithful. In Genesis 41, we have, or Genesis 42 verse 3, we have the sons of Jacob, many years after Abram is dead, they go down to Egypt when there was a famine. And God did not stop Abram, and God did not stop Jacob. But he stopped Isaac. He stopped Isaac. Now Isaac knew that his father had gone down to Egypt for food. Parents tell children their experiences, how hard life was and how good the children have it. Parents love to do that. Isaac knew his father Abram had gone down to Egypt when there was a famine in his time. Now here's Isaac. He's having his own famine. And God says to him in Genesis 26 verse 2, Go not down into Egypt. Now if you read verse 1 of Genesis 26, it is clear that that is where Isaac was headed. Let's read that verse again. Verse 1 of Genesis 26. As we continue, God, it makes no sense to me. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. He was on his way to Egypt and he had to pass by where Abimelech lived. The land of the Philistines. God, knowing that he was going to Egypt, said to him in verse 2, Go not down into Egypt. Now, when God said, Don't go to Egypt, here's what God was saying Don't go where there's food. That's what he effectively said Don't go where there's food. Don't go where everyone else is headed. Don't go where your father went. You stay where there's a famine. Isaac might have said in his, Lord, stay here? Yes. You mean in this land where nothing is growing? Yes. Where the cattle are dying? Yes. Where people are dying of hunger? Yes. But Lord, I can see caravans passing by my tent on the way to Egypt for food. Should I stay? Yes. Stay where there is no food that you can see. Did you hear me? Stay where there is no food that you can see. Let's pause right here and run to John chapter 6. If you're running to John, your pages would make much more noise than that. John 6. Let's go to John 6. 
Let's look at God, Jesus, making a request of one of his disciples. And we learn something about God that we must take into our souls and into our hearts. You need to learn this lesson about God. John 6, reading from verse 1. And Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And the great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip. Now Jesus sees a crowd, a multitude, thousands. He turns to Philip. Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? So Philip, being a human being, Philip answered him. 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient that every one of them might take a little. Philip probably went into his pocket and said, all we have is 200 pence. We cannot feed this crowd. But if you read verse 6, the Bible says, and this he said to do what? To prove him, finish that verse, for he himself, what? Knew what he would do. Listen to me. Say amen first. <laughs> Jesus Christ Always know how he will get you through a crisis. But he does not always tell you why. As we read in verse, five, verse 6, And this he said to prove him, or the word there is test Philip and the other disciples. We must be tested. But the Bible says Jesus already knew how he would feed the 5,000, but he had to test because it is through tests that we grow. And Christ does not have stunted children. He has growing children. So while it made no sense to Philip, how are you expecting me to feed 5,000 men plus thousands of women and children? Jesus had the problem under control. What he needed was an exercise of the obedience of faith. We go back to Isaac. Genesis 26. As we continue, God, it makes no sense. Genesis 26. Verse 2. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, verse 3, and I will be with thee and will bless thee now. It is better to be in a famine with God than to be in a land of plenty without God. God said, you stay here and I will be with you and I will bless you. The problem isn't, or the first question is not, I have a problem. The first question should be, is God with me? When God is with you, a solution is with you. For with God, all things are and so God told Isaac in verse 3 of Genesis 26, And I will be with thee, and will bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries. And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply of the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 
Verse 5, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Verse 6 says, and Isaac dwelt in Gira. He stayed put. Now that he has obeyed God, God is responsible for him. Did you hear me? God loves to be responsible for us. Because he is a father. Fathers take pride in taking care of the children. And so verse 6 of Genesis 25 says, And Isaac dwelt in Gerar according to God's word. God said, stay here. And Isaac said, okay. I am sure Isaac had some questions in his heart. But ultimately, he obeyed God. Now let us see how God rewards obedience even when it makes no sense. Verse 12 of Genesis 26. The Bible says, Then Isaac sowed where? In that land. What land is that? The land of famine. The land where nothing grows. A famine means drought. Drought means no rain. How do you sow in a famine? You do it when God says to do it. What do you say? The Bible says, Then Isaac sowed in that land. And receive what? A hundredfold. Now let's pause and consider a hundredfold. Do you know what a hundredfold is? Everything he sowed grew. Now even in a good year, no farmer gets a hundredfold. The rabbits have to get theirs. And the boll weevil must get theirs. And whatever else must get theirs. Isaac, the Bible says, received one hundredfold. In the parable of the, the, the sower of the seed, in Genesis, uh, Matthew 13, the seed that fell on good ground, there were three levels of harvest. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Listen to me carefully. There are levels of spiritual power. Are you with me? There are degrees to which God blesses. Did not Jesus say from time to time, be it unto thee according to what? Yes. Which means, if you bring to Jesus Christ a thimble full of faith, Jesus pours out the faith and pours in blessings. Does he fill the thimble up? Yes. He pours blessings to the brim of that thimble and he gives it to you. That's what you brought. I fill it. Now here comes someone else and brings a bathtub. What does Jesus do? He fills it to the brim. Is Jesus fair? Yes. How much you get is not dependent on Jesus, but on your faith. Stop bringing Jesus symbols. Bring him a bathtub of obedience and go back with blessing. Come on, say something. And so the Bible says in Genesis 26, 12, Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed what? Verse 13. He waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great store of servants. And the Philistines envied him. God blessed Isaac to the degree that surrounding nations were envious. God said, you stay where there's a famine. There may be a famine on earth. There's never a famine in heaven. God never runs out of blessings. Mm -mm. 
there has never been a famine of blessings from God's side. We experience famines of blessings because we will not trust God. We always have an argument, a negotiation, a creative alternative. God, you said this, why don't you consider this? God says, no, no. You know what I say. I'm your father. I know what's best. Your parents, that's what you tell your children. So you understand God's position. So when you tell God it makes no sense to me, God says, I understand. Because my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, save the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We have to understand that there are some things God knows that are best for us. He requires that we trust him. Sometimes God will ask you to do things that seem to make no sense. Let's look at two of them. In Malachi chapter 3, let's go there. Two things that most people think make no sense to God. To them. Why is God asking me to do this? But God wants to bless you the same way he blessed Isaac. Because God is a blessing God. We must keep him blessing by trusting him. Malachi chapter 3, reading from verse 8. Will a man rob God? Rob God? Will a man rob God? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. There are some people God looks at and he says, I love you, but you're a crook. I love you, but you're a thief. Larceny, theft. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you have robbed me. And you say, when have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. What did I say? In tithes and offerings. Now some people believe you can only rob God in the tithe because the tithe is precise. What is the tithe? One-tenth. So if I earn $10, I give God one. So I am straight with God. Because the offering is up to us, we feel anything we give God is fine. Mm -mm. God allows us to choose how much the offering will be and if it is not enough God says you have robbed me but you know what you've robbed God of not of money you have robbed God of an opportunity to bless you because God doesn't need money God isn't broke Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein, all belongs to God. David said, of thine own have we given thee. Haggai 2, 8, all the gold and the silver are mine. But God wants to get selfishness out of our hearts. So he says, I'm giving you what's mine, can I have it back? You have robbed me even this whole nation. He accursed with a curse even this nation. We rob God. Then God says, bring you all the tithe into the storehouse. Verse 10 of Malachi 3. That there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. Very few people want you to prove them. Because the results may be ugly. God says, prove me. Test me. Which one of you buys a car without test driving it? 
Which one of you buys a home without having someone going first and check it? Make sure the, the, whatever the thing is in the furnace that heats up the house won't blow up. We have it checked. We have it tested. God says, you test me. Prove me now here, we've saved the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven. What are the windows of heaven? What are the windows of heaven? And pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Let's take a look at the windows of heaven. What God meant when he said, I will open the windows of heaven. Genesis chapter 7. The story of the flood. Let's read verse 11. Of Genesis 7. The story of the flood. Genesis 7, reading verse 11. The Bible says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and finish it, the windows of heaven were opened. What does the next verse say? And the rain was what? Upon the earth how long? 40 days and 40 nights. God broke up the underground fountains and up came water no one had ever seen in such volumes. Then God opened the windows of heaven. Because when God made the earth, it was surrounded by water. Somehow. That's why in 2 Peter chapter 2, we read of the earth standing in the water and out of the water. God broke the windows of heaven and down came so much rain. We read in verse 20 of Genesis 7. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were what? Covered. Every high point on earth was covered. When God opened the windows of heaven now, when you and I bring the tithes to God, God said, look, the way I flooded the earth. <laughs> I will open the windows of heaven and flood your life with blessings and I will cover every high hill of a need that you have. But trust me. Don't argue. Trust me. Do what I say. I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And the next verse says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. What does that mean? Back then, the devourer was what? The locust. The society then wasn't heavily industrialized. It was agricultural, pastoral. North Africa still suffers from plagues of locusts in some parts of uh, the Middle East. A locust plague comes down, your crops are gone, just like that. God said, if you honor me with the tithe and offering, I will rebuke the devourer. You know, God can speak to animals and they obey him. In Numbers 22, God spoke to an ass and the ass started to talk. God, Jesus said, look, I can tell the stones to talk. I'll have them shout. Because God is God. Now God says to the locust, leave the farm alone that belongs to that man who returns a tithe and offering. Come on, say amen. amen. And the locusts come by and they fly over his farm and they land on mine because I've been stingy. God says, I will rebuke the devourer, but you and I in the United States, we don't worry about locusts. But I tell you what, 
God says, fine, there are no locusts in your life, but you got a car and the engine wears out. I will rebuke the devourer of that engine. And that car that is supposed to run for six years will run for 16. I will rebuke the devourer of your clothes. They will last. I will rebuke the devourer of your health. You'll be strong and healthy. I will rebuke the moral devourers of society and protect your children. I will rebuke the devourer if you honor me with a tithe and an offering. You say, well, God, you don't need money. God says, yes, I don't need money, but you need to give it up. I don't need it, but you need to give it up. That's how I've chosen to cure you of selfishness. Think of somebody else. We ought to return a tithe, an offering to God. That's not something God gave the Jews. Tithing goes back to Abraham and before. Genesis 14, when Abraham fought a battle against four kings that had captured Lot. When he came back victorious, the Bible says in verse 18 of Genesis 14, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thine enemies into thy hands. And the verse ends this way, And he gave him tithes of all. All the way back to Genesis 14, verse 20, Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. The principle of tithing goes back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, you may seem shocked. Tithe means, this is mine, take your hands off it. That principle God sought to teach Adam and Eve when he said, this tree is mine, don't touch it. Don't take the tithe and buy clothes. That is mine. That tree is mine, don't touch it. It is reserved for me. The tithe is reserved for me. The Sabbath is reserved for me. Don't touch it. There's something else God asks us to do that makes no sense. For many people, it makes no sense. But God will not back down. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And the remarkable thing is, from Genesis to Revelation, God has not changed his mind. Very few people do it. It makes no sense. But God, that's the best day for my business. That's when I get most of my sales. That's when all the stores are open. That's the busiest day of the week. And you're telling me, keep it holy, go to church. God says, remember the Sabbath day. And as I bless Isaac, as I bless faithful tithe returners, I'll bless faithful Sabbath keepers. Now, you may not see now how you can keep it. God says, I understand. When I asked Philip, how shall we feed these 5,000? Philip didn't know. But I already have the answer in my pocket. God says, as you sit and you listen to my words from a manservant, make up your mind. I want to test God. I want to obey God. Even though it makes no sense to me remember the sabbath day to keep it holy the bible says six days shall thou labor and do all thy work but the seventh day is the sabbath of the lord thy god is the sabbath of whom is his in it thou shalt not do any work 
Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gate. Why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested a seventh day. Wherefore, or for this reason, God blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Are you with me? And he says, I want you to keep that day. Most of the world says, Lord, we have another idea. Consider this. How about the first day? The Lord says, why? Because that's the day on which Jesus rose. The Father said, I'm a reasonable God. Bring me one verse where I said that you can do that. Just one, says God. Bring me one verse. And no one has yet brought God one verse. Not one. Listen to me. Now don't stop loving me because I'm preaching a hard sermon. Don't stop loving me. Listen to me. How many days do we celebrate? How many days do we celebrate? Name some. I mean the holy days. Name the so-called holy days. Name them. Christmas. Give me another one. Easter. Give me another one. Uh, well, Thanksgiving is not that holy, but all right. But Easter, Christmas is not holy either. Let's drop Christmas. Oh, Christmas. Okay, Christmas. Easter, Lent. Is it 40 days for Lent? Ash Wednesday. Holy Thursday. Good Friday. Easter Sunday. Now, seven. Let's throw in the Sabbath. Eight. Of the eight, the only one God wants is a Sabbath celebration. The other seven we came up with. And they are not required by scripture. And so God must sit on his throne and bite his divine nails. I don't understand. I just don't understand my people. I didn't ask them for Christmas. They want to keep it. Didn't ask for Easter. They keep it. Didn't ask for Ash Wednesday. They keep it. Then as for Holy Thursday, they keep it. Then as for Good Friday, they keep it. Then as for uh, Easter Sunday, they keep it. They not ask for Lent, they keep it. I ask them for the Sabbath, they don't. And they're quick to say, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus says, if you love me. Makes no sense to you because most of the world does not do it. Don't you know Jesus says... Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, which is eternal life, and few. If that doesn't scare you, it wakes me up. What Christ is saying when he comes, compared to how many are lost, those saved will be few. And for no other reason than we will not trust God. Because God is supposed to make sense to us and explain everything in detail before we obey him. And that is a mistake to make. The Sabbath came down from Eden. Not Mount Sinai. It came from Eden. That's where it began. When God spoke the Sabbath to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were the entire population of the whole world. 
Am I right? Yes. God gave the Sabbath to the entire world when he gave it to Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve understood that they represented the entire world. Because in Genesis 3 verse 20, the Bible says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, yet all living had not yet come. Are you listening to me? You don't look so. Let me try again. In Genesis 3.20, the Bible says, And Adam called his wife's name, what? Eve. Why? Because she was the mother of all living, but all living had not yet come. Adam saw in Eve the entire population produced through her with his cooperation. He called her Eve. Now when God said in Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. To whom was God talking? To Adam? Who was Adam's mother? He had none. God was talking to all who would come from Adam and Eve. And he said it to Adam. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. In Adam and Eve, God saw the entire world of people to come and God gave them the Sabbath. And God says, the Bible says in Genesis 2, reading from verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day. Which day? Now people always tell me, pastor, preacher, evangelist, Randy, elder, brother, hey. <laughs> How do you know which day is the seventh day? Which day is the Sabbath? I don't know. I'll keep it, but I don't know which day is the Sabbath. That is not true. They say the calendar has been changed and Monday is the first day of the week. Now all Christians celebrate Easter on what day? Sunday. I have never met a Christian who celebrates Easter on a Monday. Never. Christians know Christ rose on what day of the week? The first day. That's why they celebrate Easter on Sunday. I have never in all my travels from Australia to Zambia met one Christian who celebrates uh, Easter on a Monday. It is always a Sunday because we know Jesus rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. Now, I have never met anyone who celebrated Good Friday on Saturday. Are you with me? Good Friday is always celebrated on Friday. Easter Sunday is celebrated on Sunday, which means the day between the two. Right there. Is what? The Sabbath. You know, this is extremely serious. Because the Sabbath is the commandment God uses to test people's obedience. You know why I say that? When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they had been in Egypt so long, they forgot who God was. In Exodus chapter 3, go there with me. Exodus 3, as we continue with God, it makes no sense to me. Exodus 3. I'm going to have you write on those cards in a minute. And I'm going to call you in the name of God. You have Exodus 3, verse 13. And Moses said unto whom? When I come unto the children of Israel, 
and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers have sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, what? What is his name? They didn't know. What shall I say unto them? That's when he told him, verse 14, I am that I am. What I'm showing you is, the Israelites had gone so far down, they had forgotten the name of God. Which means most of them had forgotten the commandments. The fourth, the third, the ninth, the tenth, the first. When God brought them out, they were in the same condition. You don't change overnight. They're in the same condition, but God has to test them. Will these people obey me? The commandment he chooses is the fourth commandment. That's why in Exodus 16, when he sent manna from heaven, he said, six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, there shall be none. You must rest on that day. Exodus 16, 27, 28. And God gave them that test to see if they would be willing to obey him. What God was saying is this. Anyone willing from the heart to obey this commandment will certainly obey all other nine. My beloved brothers and sisters, to keep the Sabbath is to behave in a way different from just about everyone in your neighborhood. But God does not go for crowds. God goes for commitment. God's word has not changed. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. God didn't say, remember thou shalt not commit adultery. He knows. People know that. But he knew they would forget, number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor. Do all thy work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. Now the reason why God made it the Sabbath was the fact that he rested on it. That's a historical fact. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see, and all that in them is, and rested. Now, when he rested, after having rested, that's when God blessed it. Follow me closely. Here's the seventh day. God's resting. He rests the entire day. Then he decides, I'm going to bless that day. Are you with me? He rests the entire day. When that day was over, then God blessed it and said, now all humanity should do as I did. When was it that God blessed the seventh day? <laughs> yes. It was on a Sunday when God blessed Saturday. You don't get it. I'm not trying to be fancy. You have to understand. God rested first. Then he blessed. Having rested the entire day, that brought him to what day of the week? So God was standing on Sunday and looked back and blessed the seventh day. Because the verse is clear. Because he rested, he blessed. The rest was accomplished fact. Then he blessed. He had to set the example first and completely for the two human beings watching him, Adam and Eve. Then he said, you do the same thing. Now 
Listen to me. If you read Genesis 1, on the first day of the week, what did God make? Light. If you try to go back in history and change it and have God resting on the first day, what do you do? What do you do? No light. You have taken God from the business of making light on the first day and you said, no, he rested, no light. And let me tell you something, in many people's lives, there is no light. You say to me, Elder, why is it so important to obey God? Because that's how we prove to him that we love him. And it's not a forced response. When we see how much God loves us, the natural response is to be willing to do whatever God says. Listen to me. In Deuteronomy 8, reading from verse 1, Moses said, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto thy father Abraham. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live. The Ten Commandments observed is the way God shows us what a righteous life is all about. And that obedience comes from the heart. My brothers, my sisters, God told Isaac, stay in a famine land and I will bless you. Isaac obeyed and God blessed him in a way he would never have seen if he had argued. God told Peter, get into the boat, let's go fishing. Peter said, I've been fishing all night. There are no fish. Christ said, let's go. They went. There were so many fish. The boats began to sink. That's how God responds to obedience. Now God says to you, I want my tithe and my offering. Get it out of your wallets because if you don't, you are living under a curse. God said the whole nation. God says keep my Sabbath. I will bless you. I'll take care of you. Because when God sent man in the wilderness, he sent twice as much on the sixth day. Because he sent none on the seventh day. God knows how to take care of those who obey him. Listen to me. I speak as your brother. Try God. He said try me. Test me. Prove me. Try him. Try loving, say to God, God, I heard this man, and he said, I ought to obey you. And he seemed to make a little sense. I, thank you, (laughs) I, I will try to obey you. Lord, my knees are knocking. My mouth has gone dry. Because I don't know how to tell my husband, I plan to keep the Sabbath, the very next one. What am I going to tell my employer? The Bible says he himself knew what he would do. God has you already covered. You just don't know. You've got to believe he has you covered. Trust him. Do you love God? How much? How much? This much or this much? Without hurting your neighbor, show me how much you love God. This this much, don't hurt your neighbor. This much, all right. Now, that's the response God wants. You got some cards with you? You got a pen? 
Here's what I want you to do. My assistants will come and help me. I want you to come and stand here, 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 and here. I want you to write on that card. Lord, don't write all of this. I'll tell you what to write. You're saying in your heart, Lord, I want to trust you. I've heard some things for the first time. I need to think. Good. God understands that. I want you to say, Lord, I want to know more about tithe and the Sabbath. That's all I'm asking you to say. Lord, I want to know more about tithe and the Sabbath. Put on that card T and S. That's all. And that will tell me when I'm praying over those cards tonight, you want to know more about the tithe and Sabbath. Put that on that card. You don't have a card? Raise your hand. All right, we have a man without a card. We have someone here without a card, someone in the back without a card. You have a little time left. We need some cards. Bring them down this way. You're writing on that card. I want to know more about tithe and the Sabbath. Just write T and S. I need your name, somewhere to contact you because I want to pray for you that you'll obey God. Put it on that card. At the right time, I will tell you when to bring those cards. If you don't have a card, raise your hand, get a card. I want to know more. I have a heart to obey. I have a willingness. Lord, just give me a little more light. I want to know more about tithe and the Sabbath. Put a T and an S. That's all. Turn that card in with your name and some form of contact. You said you love Jesus. Were you serious? I'm speaking to all of you. Were you serious? If you love him, stand up. I love him. And I'm standing. I love Jesus. I know you do. Let me tell you something about God. God never lets his people down. Never. And he will not let you down. If you've written on that card, I want you to bring it. Put it in one of these. Come now. Come now, bring those cards. Drop it in that bucket and go right back. Bring those cards. God bless you. Just bring them. God bless you. We have someone here in the middle. Don't let him feel left out. Drop something in his bucket. Bring those cards. God bless you. God loves obedience. Bring those cards. On the card, I want to know about tithe and the Sabbath. Bring the cards. God bless you as you respond. Bring the cards. That's right. If you love me, do what I say, says God. God will bless you. It is the Spirit of God that has led you to move. God so eagerly desires to bless us, so eagerly desires to bless us. The reason God doesn't bless us is not God's fault, it's our fault, because we will not trust God. Trust Him, I say from my heart, trust Him. And see God open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Put on that card. I want to know more about tithe and offering. T, a tithe on the Sabbath. T and S. Turn that card in. I take all those cards with me and I pray over them. Let me tell you how I do it. I spread those cards on my bed so God can see them. And then I kneel and I present the cards to God. The way Hezekiah presented the letter to God in Isaiah 37, verse 14. I spread the cards. I don't leave them in the envelope. I spread them. I say, God, look, bless every man, every woman. Put a desire to obey you in that person's heart. Provide their needs. Bless their children. Bless their homes. 
Put that card in that box. Now I'll ask you one more thing. Your cards are here. I know you're serious. There's some of you who've never heard what I said before. The things I talked about, perhaps, are not quite the same way. But having heard, if you will say in your heart, Lord, I have a willingness to obey you, quickly raise your right hand. God bless you. I have a willingness. God bless you. Keep the hands up, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray from my heart. Recognize and register every raised hand, every raised heart, expressing a willingness to obey you, even though it may not make sense to us as human beings. Help us to trust you, dear God. You've invited us to test you, to prove you. And when we prove you, you come through. So please, dear God, fill your children with your spirit, the spirit of love, the spirit of obedience, and then bless us, I pray. Hear this humble prayer. Bring us back tomorrow night to hear more truth that sets us free. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Let all God's people say, Amen and Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Come back tomorrow night. Bring someone with you. Remember, if you're going to hell, go alone. But if you're going to heaven, you've got to take someone with you. Let me shake your hand at the door.